board this police department. We have a pile of lawsuits coming in. Okay, so joining me next is Lisa Bender. Lisa is the president of the Minneapolis City Council, and she's made national news with uh, the decision that was made by that city council to disband, let me say that over, dismantle or disband the Minneapolis Police Department. Thank you so much, uh, Lisa, for agreeing to sit down and have this conversation. I've seen you give these interviews a couple of times, and now I'm starting to hear this I don't know, something is rumbling about this word, disband, dismantle, defund. So when you and your other council members made this decision with respect to the Minneapolis Police Department, what did it mean to you and the council? Yeah, and I think these words are so important, but it's also important, I think, for folks to recognize the moment that we're in in Minneapolis and just the enormous pain and frustration in our community after seeing Jamar Clark killed by Minneapolis police with a years long process to invest in reforms, to watch Justine Damon killed by the police and have a new police chief come in and new leadership. And then to have George Floyd die in such a horrific way with four officers involved. It's just too much for our community. So people are using different words to describe that pain and where they want to go. But there is an enormous lack of confidence and trust in our current police department. Yes, from activists and thousands and thousands of protesters in the street, but also from community institutions like the University of Minnesota, our park board, the school board, leading businesses and arts institutions have all ended their contracts with the police department in the last week. So it is clear that this department isn't trusted to provide community safety in our community. And so nine of us stood with two local organizations, Black Visions Collective and Reclaim the Block, and pledged to build something new that truly keeps every member of our community safe. And I would just want to step back a little, Lisa, and, and start with, you mentioned George Floyd and the reason we're having this conversation yeah. and the reason so many people all over the globe are having a conversation about justice and reforming police departments, the 18,000 police departments across the country is because of Mr. Floyd and the brutal murder of Mr. Floyd by those four officers that you uh, identified. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really troubling to me is, is, is Derek Chauvin. He wasn't just any police officer. He was a, a veteran officer with 19 years experience uh, and he was a training officer. So it's, it's help us wrap our brains around how someone who was given a position of authority within the police department, who was given the job of training new officers could engage in the kind of conduct that we saw on that video. I mean, that is the central question that we're asking our whole community. And in Minneapolis, the police department reports to the mayor. So the city council has a legislative role. We approve the budget. We certainly have a responsibility. And I think are working to claim more responsibility and more power in this conversation for the people that we represent. Um, you know, there are, there are so many barriers within the system. There's state law, there's union rules. There's the Federation contract, the Police Federation Union, their city policy. And so I think the system needs to change from the top to the bottom. But 
um, I think also, you know, it's just important, I think, to say that our police chief is an, an incredibly trusted, inspirational leader and has been working to make change within the department. So I think what we're hearing is that even with all these pieces in place, even with a trusted and inspirational leader at the helm of the department, it's clear that, that there's so many problems with the department. That's not just a couple of bad officers. We have a federation that elects a union president that is openly obstructive and openly critical of reform and change who publicly stood against the firing of the officers involved in George killing. So to me, this system is so much bigger than any of these, you know, small or specific changes. So the fact that this officer who had discipline actions in the past, it appears, um, was in this role empowered to train new recruits. In fact, two of the police um, officers that were there were on their third and fourth day on the job. You know, and we've been working to diversify our force, um, to bring in new voices and attitudes to help the force more racially represent the community and be more racially diverse. But those efforts still didn't stop this tragedy, this horrific killing. And so I think it's, it's kind of, the question is where are we going, right? So as we dismantle this department that is, you know, seems beyond repair, what do we build back in its place? Yeah, and that's really that's the, the question. real question that we have to ask our community, you know. Yeah. And that's the question we so when we hear the word defund, we hear the word dismantle, and you mentioned those really critical union contracts. So I'm a civil rights lawyer and I've been involved uh, in this kind of work for uh, over two decades. And and I know and, and many people don't realize those union contracts yeah. are negotiated between elected officials, typically the mayor or someone from the mayor's office and the police union. And we're not talking about the benefits or the salaries of police officers. We're talking about those clauses that typically prevent even inspiring and progressive chiefs, like the one you say Minneapolis department has now, from really disciplining and terminating uh, police officers. Oftentimes uh, the decisions by the chiefs are overridden. They have to bring bad officers back uh, bad officers are, are given a great deal of protection. So when you envision starting over in your new vision, will there be these kinds of contracts between police officers and the city of Minneapolis? I feel like I have to say that our, our vast majority of public employees are represented by labor unions, and that's a really important value in our city, a really important value for the city council but that this isn't a typical labor union. And we've had labor leaders speak out. We've had a former chief speak out and former mayor talk about the tactics they use and the way they operate. So, you know, I think we have to maintain those values of bargaining. Um, but, you know, what, what I hope we can get to is more of a public transparent process. Now, the union may not likely wouldn't agree, but if we could have a community seat at the table, which Austin, Texas was able to accomplish in its last negotiation after the city council there unanimously rejected a union deal, a contract deal, I feel like that will give us significantly more leverage 
because right now we're talking about wages versus all of these important structural changes that the Federation hasn't supported. And so just that typical process isn't working. Yeah. And just to be clear, and I want the viewers to understand, LA, New York, both of those mayors have said they're gonna claw back substantial portions of the budget uh, from the LA Police Department and the New York Police Department. But in Minneapolis, you're not just talking about reallocating funds from the police department, say, to mental health or health and human services. You're talking about kind of the Camden, New Jersey model, where you go in and pretty much terminate everyone that works for the existing police department, and you start all over with new employees, with a whole new approach to policing. Is that what you have or your council members have in mind when you use the word dismantle? I think there are multiple options, one of which is amending our city's charter, which would likely go on the ballot to the voters directly to, instead of having a police department, have a department of public safety. And maybe it even has a civilian department head that has a, a police, you know, embedded within it, but in a significantly smaller size. Now, I don't want to speak too much in detail because we haven't had that chance to check in with folks and have a community process that will be important. But that's one pathway, I think, for our city. And I, that is really building on work that we've done to shift money out of the budget into community-based safety strategies. We've been giving grants to community organizations for years to do community-based safety work in, you know, all across the city in community and so we have so many lessons and so much expertise within the community that we can draw on and learn from. We also did a big analysis of 911 calls last year and learned what are all the reasons that people call 911 to look at things like mental health response or physical health response to overdose calls and all of the other things, the way that we could shift the response of the city away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response. So, and there's, you know, there's a lot of different reasons to do that. Frankly, we can't afford this police department. Uh, we have a pile of lawsuits coming in. The amount of money we're paying out in settlements to families, first of all, doesn't even come close to the loss that they have suffered for them and for the city is an enormous financial burden. So I think there are short term things that we have to do from a practical perspective of keeping our community safe, reigning in the police department, starting to shift and invest in these new strategies as we build to a longer term future. And I'm glad you mentioned those lawsuits because after every one of these high profile shootings and even those that don't make national news, there typically is a civil rights lawsuit, uh, a violation of, you know, there's a lawsuit filed where the party, the plaintiff, their family members allege that their civil rights were violated and cities pay out huge amounts in those settlements uh, and they can cost cities uh, with respect to other critical services like mental health services, like parks and recreation, all of those budgets suffer. So there is an economic reason for police departments to be reformed and, and for us to see an end to the kind of brutality. I just want to uh, show you a couple of the pictures that we saw play out in the news, uh, Lisa, and those were the protests. Protests erupted all over Minneapolis. Uh, some pretty, uh, you know, ominous looking photos of, of massive numbers of police on the ground. Uh, some not using what you would expect to be the kind of crowd control, some being very aggressive. We saw acts of violence by the police. But where are you now? Looks like you've come through that part of it and that the city, we're seeing much more peaceful protests. 
Has the city, you think, turned a corner with respect to the protest? Yes. I mean, the city was in crisis with buildings burning. And it was so tragic because the buildings that burned were communities that had built up businesses from the ground up. They were immigrant-owned businesses, businesses largely owned by community members of color, families of color. Many didn't have insurance. Most rent their um, space, so they're not the property owner. So the losses are enormous in communities that had worked so hard to build up those businesses that had suffered from COVID and the economic crisis. And the loss of those buildings is devastating, not because of the property, but because of the people who exist within them and because of the livelihood that they created for our neighbors. And so one of the things I hear from business owners and folks who are out there trying to put out fires is that the police were nowhere to be found that they were guarding the precinct or they were shooting tear gas and rubber bullets at journalists and protesters as our city burned. So the moment that we're in and the frustration and anger at this system of policing is so strong that that's why nine of us stood up and said, look, we need to figure out where we're going together and exactly what that looks like. And there will be a community process. And this is a serious, responsible proposal for change. But this is not working to keep people safe. Yeah. And I know we saw images of the police chief actually kneeling with protesters uh, and showing solidarity with respect to the protesters. And then we saw a counter narrative of your mayor who was booed uh, by protesters because he uh, would not state his you know, uh, agreement or would not agree that the kind of change that the city council has put forth is the right direction for the city. I just want to say that you, in your second term uh, as city council member, have taken such a bold and aggressive action. Uh, and we don't know where it'll end up. Like you said, you, you haven't quite figured out what the exact plan is. But I think just the initiative that you took is so uh, inspiring to so many women. And I just want to ask you one final question about in this moment where you're up against this big, and I, I mean literally this, this you know, police union boss, this head who you know, figuratively looms large in this police department, and you're up against even what appears to be your own mayor, uh, you know, what is it like, the decision-making, the, the anxiety that you may feel as, as a woman who's on the front lines really fighting for justice and equality, not just for Minneapolis, but really for people all over the country? It's an important question because I think the systems that lead to the kind of police brutality we saw are reinforced by systems of racism and, and misogyny within all of these structures. And so one of the things we see right now is a call for unity with the mayor. And I would say, look, we the mayor fought for control over this police department. The city council tried to do a charter amendment to give ourselves more policy authority over the department a couple of years ago, and he fought for this control. And the city is burning. So, I mean, for all of us, I think the team that we have on this Minneapolis city council is so inspiring. It's not hard to take bold statements when I'm standing with inspirational leaders like Andrea Jenkins, the council vice president, and Jeremiah Ellison, who addressed the Congressional Black Caucus Thursday afternoon of this week, and Philippe Cunningham, 
Alondra Kano, who's the chair of our public safety committee, and all of the other council members. It's a, an amazing team. And one of the things that I do as a leader is support my colleagues every way I can. And I think that kind of leadership isn't always spoken about or recognized, but I feel that my biggest strength as a leader is in supporting this incredible team of brilliant council members that I get to serve with on the city council. Well, you're way too modest, Lisa, and <laughs> just the ability to support that team and, again, to take such a bold step when the rest of the country, even Vice President Joe Biden, uh, has said that he's not in favor of, of disbanding or dis, you know, defunding police departments. So you're taking a, a step and you know, speaking out in a very aggressive way, even against what would be considered the, the party leaders, the Democratic Party leaders. And, and I have to give you credit for that because we won't change if we keep doing the same things over and over again. And you're right, the police department in Minneapolis has so many instances of systemic issues and I'm glad that rather than to continue to put a Band-Aid on that hemorrhage, that you uh, and your city council members decided to step up, be bold, uh, and take the kind of steps necessary to really end once and for all the kind of brutality that we saw uh, with respect to George Floyd. So again, thank you for you know, sharing some time with me. Thank you for your leadership and you know, for being an example of how hopefully city council members uh, and elected officials across this country will be willing to stand up, uh, speak up, and, and make the kind of change that's necessary in this country. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Special Report. Please take a moment to share, subscribe, and rate this podcast. I always want to hear your thoughts. You can share your comments with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn by following at Ariva Martin. Thanks and be safe out there.